like a hostage negotiation. It's like, I've got to think of any kind of external motivation to get them in there. And not only get them in there, I need to get them to stay in there. And then I need them to figure out that I'm going to get back up and check and see if they got out of the bed to turn on the light and to start doing whatever they really wanted to do when I asked them to go to bed. It's like, just stay in there. I'll give you everything. I'll move you up in the will, whatever. Please go to sleep. But one of the things that I learned was, uh, uh, was just their, one of their favorite things to do was, as I would say, uh, they would tuck them in. Uh, they'd say, Daddy, tell me a story. Daddy, tell me a story. And uh, honestly, most of my stories just come off the top of my head. If you were to ask my kids, they would say, well, one of Dad's favorite stories, it's about a purple unicorn. Um, it's a silly story, and I'm not going to tell it here. Um, <laughs> There was, a, there was a story about these people eating cats one time. That was an awesome story. And then I decided to get a little more biblical because my kids love adventure. My, my son, he likes to read Lord of the Rings. So I thought I would embellish the story of the demoniac right at bedtime. That's a great idea, right? <laughs> you know, this guy with 2,000 demons that, you know, he showed up. He's naked. Now, I did not get naked for this story, okay? I was just telling the story. He's cutting himself and screaming and breaking chains. I, I you know, there was this calming down period after that night. And so uh, they, they love to tell a story. They love to hear the stories. And, and uh, we're going to spend some time listening to the stories that Jesus told his disciples. He told stories to his disciples. And those stories, biblically, are, are, are simply called this. They're parables. They're parables, and um, he told many of them. And today we're going to look at one out of Luke chapter 18. But uh, before we get there, I want you to know what a parable really is. It's a, it's a, it's a short story. It's an allegorical story designed to illustrate, illustrate or teach some truth. It's a religious principle or maybe a, a moral lesson. It conveys, it, it conveys a, a deeper meaning indirectly using comparison or allegory. And so he tells these stories to help us to understand mysteries. You say, why parables? Why did he come and he tell these stories? Well, there was a, a time in Luke chapter 8 where he really tells us why he's telling these stories. Luke chapter 8, verse 9 says, and then his disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? And we'll look at this parable uh, moving forward, which is the parable of the sower. But in the middle of the parable, we actually get the reason behind him telling the parables. And he said, to you, it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest, it's given in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And, and, and some of us at, at first glance may think, wow, that's, that's God being unfair. It's God being unfair. But that's actually not what that's saying at all. That's actually not what that's saying. See, parables were used to distinguish disciples from the religious Parables were used to disciple, they would distinguish between disciples, actual followers of Christ, 
and the religious, those who would just kind of show up and go through the motions, who actually did not want the depth of relationship with God. And what you need to understand is, is that parables, these stories, reveal the mysteries of the kingdom of God. They reveal the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And the, and the scripture says right here in Luke chapter 8, it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. You are to know the mysteries. Now, are there still things that uh, remain mysterious that we have to put in the box called mystery? Absolutely. But he says, it is given to you to know the mysteries. Who is the you? The you is the disciple. The one who would draw near to Christ so that you could understand the deeper meaning behind the story. Those who remained at a distance... Jesus was just telling a story that was hard to understand. And so I, I believe that God wants to tell us a story. I want to start today with a story that's near and dear to my heart. In the 1600s, there was this man named John Locke. John Locke wrote uh, a, a series of, uh, of dissertations uh, called natural laws, and they were really all about human rights not originating with man. He's an English philosopher, lived in the 1600s. And he formed the political ideas or the very foundational ideas that this nation would be built upon. Many of our, our founding fathers on this President's Day weekend, that we, where we look back and think of our great leaders, many of these men used the words of John Locke to form their ideas about how this grand experiment of these, these colonies could somehow survive and become a nation. John Locke wrote these words in the 1600s and they would pierce the heart of men like George Washington and our, our other founders. It says, where the body of people or any single man is deprived of their right or is under the exercise of a power without right and have no appeal on earth, they have a liberty to appeal to heaven. They have a liberty to appeal to heaven. They knew this. And before the stars and stripes, which we so honor and so remember, and I'm not saying that we should ever replace that flag. We want to lift that flag high and honor it and remember all that, that, that we we. Uh, we stand for as a nation in our history, this flag flew. Matter of fact, this flag was, was commissioned as the, the first flag that would fly over the Massachusetts Navy. It would fly all over the colonies with this message and appeal to heaven with an evergreen tree on it. If you were to walk into my office, you would see a beautiful piece of artwork that uh, Chris Wood put together and it's hanging there with this same message and appeal to heaven. 
Why an appeal to heaven? Because what an absurd idea that a fledgling army could go against the greatest world power and win. That we could actually overcome insurmountable odds naturally. The only appeal left was an appeal to heaven. And I want to say to you on this President's Day weekend, there are enemies mounting against this nation. Armies, not natural, but supernatural in nature that are arrayed against the very purposes of this nation, which, by the way, is the promotion of the gospel. When originally founded in the early 1600s, when the Puritans arrived, it wasn't, it wasn't just the freedom of a religion. It was the establishment of a beachhead where the gospel would go out for all nations to hear. I want to say to you that when we're involved in the natural, exercise all of those rights. But when all of those rights have been exhausted, there's still another right you can exercise and appeal to heaven. And today I want to tell you a story that Jesus told from Luke 18. And the sermon title is an appeal to heaven. Luke 18 verse 1 Jesus is speaking here and he says, Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Saying there was a, in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would, he would not for a while. But afterwards he said to himself, Though I do not fear God or regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? This, is, this, uh, this parable is called the parable of the persistent widow. And I, I, I find it absolutely fascinating. There's some, some mysteries inside of this story that I want us to draw out today. I want you to, to, to draw some things out of this, and maybe the Holy Spirit is going to speak something specific to you from this, and probably he will as you investigate this on your own. But there's a, a few mysteries I want you to see today. Number one, the court of heaven is always available. We learned last week that we are ambassadors, representatives of the highest kind. And those ambassadors are, are operating and making appeals to men. As if God was making his appeal through us 
Be reconciled to God. That's from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And there we, we, we learn that, that we have the right and the responsibility to make an appeal. And, that's, and that when, when you're making appeal, what you're trying to do is to overturn a decision that's been made in a lower court. And I want to tell you today, there are many decisions and many circumstances that have actually come against us that oftentimes we in the church just accept that verdict. And I pray that through this time and through this message and through this season where we're devouring God's word and we're learning the mysteries of the kingdom, I pray God wakes you up where you begin to take your case to a higher court. Well, you decide that I am not just living by the verdict that man gives me, that my circumstances give me, that my family gave me, that my economy is trying to give me. I am not living by that verdict. I am making my appeal to heaven. And you need to know this. The, the court of heaven is always available. Verse 3 says, there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying. She just came. And if you read the story, she came and she came and she came and she came. I want you to understand, the court of heaven is open to you and I. It is available to you and I. God is available to hear the cry of any son or daughter. I don't need you to know this like, oh, I already know that. It's not enough to know it. Are we doing it? Are we living this reality? Are we saying, I, the court of heaven is open and available to me, and I'm taking advantage of it being open to me? Notice her description in this story. She's a widow. She's easily overlooked. She has nothing to offer in return to this judge. She has no social status. And she really could be of very little economic benefit. More than likely, if she was like any other widow of that day, she's being supported by her family. And I want you to I want you to just, just take that idea and apply it to your life. And I want you to use it to erase, erase any thought that might come to you that says, God won't hear me because I don't have much to offer him. I, I haven't really been performing the way that I need to perform. God, God, you know, why would God do that? Some of us, you know, we're, we're, we're in the God's too busy for me crowd. Oh, he's too busy. He's got bigger things to take care of. He's trying to close the ozone layer over the polar caps. By the way, that's happening. And so we think, no, 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 our situation and my status in the kingdom is way too small for God to take up my case. And I want you today to remember this story is a revelation that comes to a widow. And I, I, I need you to hear this today. God loves to hear people that have absolutely nothing to offer him. You know why? Because when the answer comes, they don't get credit. They don't get credit. 
But you and I need to know that this court is always open. Never underestimate your value when it comes to getting your prayers heard. Never underestimate the fact that you are a son or a daughter of God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. If you have repented and you have received and placed trust in what Jesus did on the cross. Never underestimate the value of being a son or a daughter. Never. Why? Because Hebrews 4 says, let us come boldly. Ah, oh, this messes with us because it messes with our, the way that we think. We're like, I can come boldly to where? The throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in a time of need. He says, listen, don't just come. Come like a son. Don't just come. Come like a daughter. Come out of relationship. Come full of faith. We have an open invitation to step into the courtroom of heaven and to lay our request before God. The court is open. And I believe the goodness of God today is calling us to come up before heaven, to make our appeal to heaven. The second mystery that we can find in this story is very simple. And one of the, one of the, 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 the foundational principles that you need to understand about God, it's revealed here. God is good. God is good. You say, how did you get that out of this story? Because look, look, verse 2 says, there was a certain, in a certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Look at verse 5 and 6. It says, yet, uh, because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge says, and how shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out to him day and night? There is a contrast going on. He is not making himself out to be unjust. No, he is pointing out that if a widow can get answers from an, a, a completely unjust, uncaring judge, then you, as a son or a daughter, can get answers from a completely good, completely just God. You can get answers. It's not a comparison, it's a contrast. Showing the difference between the unjust, uncaring, self-centered judge to a totally just, loving, and selfless God. The point of the contrast is to get us to focus on the goodness and the character of the one we are invited to come, uh, to come before in prayer. I, I could, I could uh, extend this uh, meeting all day long with scriptures on prayer, but let me just give you a few. Psalm 20 verse 6 says, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Psalm 91 15 says, he shall call upon me. I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Listen to what the Lord is saying in answer to prayer. Isaiah 65 verse 24, it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. Has anybody ever experienced this? I have. It's like I didn't even pray something. I just thought it. Or I said it out loud. I said, you know, I would really like this. And then God did it. It was like, whoa. 
does that classify as prayer? Do my thoughts classify as prayer? No, no, no. It's just God being really close, so close he can hear your thoughts, and going ahead and answering it before you call on, on him. It says, and while they are still speaking, I will hear. Oh, that's goodness. Of, that's the goodness of God. Jeremiah 33, 3. This is a famous verse on Scripture. It says, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Many times when we're making appeal to heaven, it's because we lack the wisdom we need in any situation. And James 1.5 says, hey, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. That means he doesn't, he doesn't give you reproach by saying, hey, you should have known this by now. What he, what, he, what he says is, no, 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 I got an answer for you. I got an answer for you. Because you realize that the answer was in me. You see, it's in this parable that we begin to understand God is good. God is not unjust. And then this final mystery that we are are going to lay hold of today and then we're going to tell another story persistence in prayer is a demonstration of faith persistence in prayer is a demonstration of faith uh, verse one says it, it tells us the reason he tells the story from the very beginning don't you love that when you have some understanding when you go into the story you kind of know what's going on I'd kind of like to go and see movies that way. I need to read a little something ahead of time. I think it would prevent my longing to nap in any movie. But then again, who wouldn't, pay, who wouldn't spend $10 on a good nap? <laughs> Ice cold place, nobody is talking, music's playing. Sounds like a great plan. And they'll give me points and a free popcorn at some point. It says this, listen. Then he spoke to them a parable. Uh, he spoke a parable to them. He told them a story that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. That's the whole point. That men always ought to pray and not lose heart. You know that, that word heart, it actually means, it actually means this. To let an external circumstance diminish your capacity to bear up in that moment. That's what it means. To allow an external circumstance to so weigh in on you that it diminishes your capacity to keep going. Jesus said, no, 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 the answer is prayer. He would then go on and we, we see it here. He says in verse 7, it says, how and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out night and day to him, though he bears long with him? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes... Will he really find faith on the earth? He's saying, listen, persistent prayer is a demonstration of faith. And he says, and when I return in those, in those last hours, will I find men standing in faith, persistently praying, though I tarry? You know, the first century church believed that Jesus was coming back in their day. And they took that stance. It's been about 2,000 years. And his, his, his return is rapidly approaching. 
But there is a stance that the end time church is to take. It is the stance of believing prayer. We must stand and believe in prayer. That's why Thessalonians comes along and gives us instruction for life and says these powerful, convicting words. Pray without ceasing. Why should we pray without ceasing? Here's the answer. God will answer. Because God will answer. God doesn't want us praying just to keep us out of trouble. It's not like a spiritual video game where you're just trying to keep your kids busy and keep them from doing something really bad. Here are all your exercises. Just do these. Nothing will happen, but at least you'll understand them. No. God wants us to continually pray because God will answer. And I want to give you... uh, Uh, Some very plain talk about what prayerlessness is. Prayerlessness is either the highest form of pride or the highest form of ignorance. It is the highest form of pride or the highest form of ignorance. Here's what I mean. Pride says, I can handle this. I've got this. Pride says, I don't need God involved in this. I can take care of it. That is pride. The breath you just took was a gift from God. We need God in everything. And ignorance doesn't know God will move in my situation. So if you're not praying and you don't know that God will move in your situation, I would call that ignorance. But ignorance only exists where the seed of God's word has not been planted. Which, Which is why we go back and say, we are going after a Bible revival where the seed of the word of God is nourishing our hearts and our minds and it's it's changing the way that we think. It's growing us up in him. It is in the absence of the seed of the word of God to believe because that's where faith comes. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we need faith that God will move when we pray. Ignorance isn't the presence of something. It's the absence of a seed. Probably most of us have given up on prayers because we don't have a seed attached to it. We don't have a promise attached to the prayer. And because we don't have a promise attached to the prayer, we don't persist. But I want to tell you today, there is a promise. God will answer. So you take the seed of God's faithfulness and the seed of God's word, and you continually to go after what that thing, that mountain, that moment, that healing, whatever that is, go after it and take it before the Lord in prayer.